Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to talk about Sherlocking, uh, which is a term that is uh, often strikes fear into the hearts of independent developers. Um, but first, before we get into the actual, like, our personal experiences with it, I did want to take a moment to explain what it is and where the term comes from, because it is an entirely non-obvious term. Uh, it's not, so it goes back to a utility that was written back many, many, many years ago, um, that I can't even, I, I honestly, it was before my time on the Mac, but there was a utility called Watson that did something. And then Apple came along and created, uh, shipped with the OS, an application called Sherlock, um, which did everything that Watson did and effectively put Watson out of business. So Sherlocking has taken on the connotation of any time um, Apple, or I guess you could probably generalize this to, you know, the platform vendor um, takes a feature or functionality or whole stock in application and copies it and ships it sort of by default into the operating system, which, as you would expect, is often something that is a little bit um, scary for that developer who just got copied. Because now, um, the thing that you've been working so hard on building, the thing that hopefully had some kind of unique biz- you know, business r- around it and was useful to customers, suddenly everyone gets for free. Um, and large, in some ways, it's like the, in- the inevitable first thought is, well, I'm out of business now. Um, which isn't always the case, but is something I think that we thought we wanted to unpack. And this is top of mind for me right now because I kind of have expectations of some of the things that I'm working on now that will inevitably be Sherlock, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and so it's something that I think it's always worth thinking about that it, while on the plus side, it's awesome that, you know, when Apple creates capabilities and opportunities on their platform, you know, they add a new API. You know, when they added the motion coprocessor to the iPhone, like that was awesome for me. I made an app called, you know, it was a step counter and built this whole sort of line of business for myself because of that. Like they created that opportunity. Now, if Apple went the, you know, the next step and created their own step tracker, um, then suddenly it becomes, you know, problematic and something that I wouldn't be as excited about. And that tension between these two things of, you know, what Apple chooses to, um, support in terms of like creating an API to encourage the development in an area and the areas where Apple says, you know what, this is so fundamental to the applic- you know, to the use of this device or the use of this operating system that we're going to build this in. You know, it's like if Apple didn't have a camera app on the iPhone, that would feel really weird. Even if third parties could make awesome camera apps, like it's such a fundamental part of it. And so, you know, Apple is in this process of gradually expanding out what is considered sort of default or what comes with it. Um, and I think we both, you and I, Marco, have some experience with this. Um, and I think we'll start off the, for this episode is talk a little bit about some of our past examples. Um, so I was wondering if you could start us off by telling the story of Instapaper and Reading List. Sure, yeah. So uh, this was my first Sherlocking as a developer. Um, basically, I made Instapaper, which was a save web pages for reading later service um, back in something like 2008. It was really a long time ago. Um, <laughs> it was, oh, I think it yeah. might have been the fall of 07. It was a very long time ago. I don't even remember right now, uh, but around that ballpark. And yeah, and Instapaper was, you know, this, this, this fairly successful app uh, that. 
um, is actually still around. Um, I don't I don't use it anymore, but it's still around. And basically, the um, the idea of it is, you know, you save web pages to Relator, and you then go into, you know, you're on a page, you save it, you go into the Instapaper app, and you can get a list of everything you saved, and, and that list syncs between different devices on the website. You can save things from your Mac to read on your phone or our iPad. So there's like cross-device saving and syncing and everything saved for offline use and everything saved in this nice like text-only customizable uh, nice reading view. And different parts of that had been done before, but the combination of those things was never done before. And so I kind of felt like I like owned that concept, which is kind of a naive place to be, honestly. But that's what I felt at the time. And uh, And then... Over the next coming couple of years, a couple of competitors did the same thing, and then eventually, um, Apple. In let's see, I guess I had to look it up. <laughs> in in 2011, Apple announced that uh, Mac OS Lion would include this feature in Safari called Reading List. And at first, it was really simple. It was like you get to save a bookmark to read later, and it shows up in this list. And it was basically like a faster version of bookmarks. There were none of the other features. There was no cross-device sync. There was no text view. There was no like you know mobile ver- version. There was nothing in iOS about it. So at first, I was like, oh well, this isn't this. I, I even wrote these blog posts like this isn't a competitor to Instapaper because it doesn't have all these things. So I'm not sure locked yet. Ha ha. And then over the next couple of years, like 2012, 20, like they, they slowly added pretty much all of the other features. They, they added it to iOS. They added sync. They added offline downloading of the pages that you save. They added their text view, uh, which is kind of a separate thing. And so like, anyway, they basically slowly added all of Instapaper's core features. And where, they've kind of left it alone for the last couple years because I, I think it's basically a complete feature at this point. What Instapaper was, it is the essence of that service, and it's missing tons and tons of features that Instapaper has, but it doesn't matter. Um, what matters is that it's built in, and it's convenient, and it's free, and everyone has it by default. And I kept talking, to, like, o- over, those, over the years as Reading List came out and then slowly got better and slowly moved more into a direct competitor of Instapaper. I kept telling myself, like, yeah, this is fine. It's not really going to compete with me. It's not going to affect my sales. It might even help my sales. People are going to find it and then realize they want something better and come find mine. And as far as I can tell, I don't I don't know if any of those things were true. Uh, in, in retrospect, I mean, I, I wasn't as good of a business person back then. Uh, not that I'm great now, but I'm I'm less bad now. <laughs> and so it's hard to tell whether various um, business failures or, or slow growth were because of other things like my pricing decisions at the time uh, or marketing decisions or whatever else, uh, or whether it was because of, in, uh, because of reading list and, and uh, any other competition that was out there. But the main moment I think was reading list because it was built in. And for a while, like before extensions, uh, reading list had way more of a privileged position than I did because there were buttons all over the OS for adding links to, to reading list. And you couldn't do that before extensions. You couldn't have your app appear in those kind of buttons. So, and there's actually still a couple of places. I think like in Mail, where there's still no system share sheet, but there's a couple yeah. of menus that that have like open copy and add to reading list. Um, so there's still a few a few places like that. But anyway, so all that time, I, I kept thinking like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll still be the deluxe option. And then, oh well, they they're not going to copy all my features and. Basically, they're really good at copying the features that matter. Um, and, and even if they don't copy them all, they copy a lot that matter. And they they often are good enough. I do think there is a danger in Sherlocking that we often want to 
minimize in our heads or deny um, or try to turn around into a positive thing. But the reality is when when the platform vendor that you're on uh, neutralizes the main features that you have as an advantage by adding them themselves, it's a pretty big deal. Um, it it probably does really affect your business. Uh, there might be cases where that's not true, but it's certainly not going to be a great thing. Now, how much of a bad thing it'll be is probably very dependent on the situation and on you and your product and your customer base. And in most cases, I don't think it's going to be incredibly fatal. I think it's very rare where it's really fatal. Um, but because you know, you you can look the other side of this is you can look at the apps that are that come by default on Macs and iOS devices. How many note-taking apps are there? There's been a notes app on the iPhone since day one of the iPhone. Before there were apps, there was notes and there was weather and there were stocks and all these things. And now there are third-party replacements for all those categories. There's tons of them and some of them do really well. So I don't think Sherlocking or, or having the platform vendor implement the same feature that you do either before or after you get there I don't think it's fatal to your business, but it is a large effect on your business. Like, there's no denying that when Apple made their Notes app better a couple of years ago, uh, and they they moved it to CloudKit and they made it sync and they added all the rich text stuff to it. Like, there's no denying that hurt a lot of other Notes apps pretty badly. Um, it they 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 can still exist, but it's harder for them to exist. So, like, this is a a force that moves throughout markets that you need to be aware of and. It is. It is almost certainly not. It's almost certainly never good for you. Like my, my whole idea, yeah. people will find this and want to upgrade to a better one. Pretty sure that's bogus. Uh, in retrospect, like it's never good for you. The only question is how bad is it for you? And it might not be too horrible, uh, but that, that also might change in the future. So it, it's definitely something to keep a, a very close eye on. Yeah, and I think there's a very what you're saying there. I think is like the 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 key. I think reality that I've come to grips with is the, is that. Something like being Sherlocked is it, it puts in an, a, a tremendous weight on the like customer demand for your product. Like it pushes it down, quite, you know, substantially. It also, in some way, probably creates customer interest in your product or in your product category. But the relative sizes of those two forces are very disproportionate. Like there's a much stronger push down than there is a push up. Um, and so you'll get a few people who are like, like you're saying the hopeful kind of like, yeah, you know, it, it's just like the built-in one, but better. I, I'm looking for the better <laughs> thing. And it's a great story we tell ourselves. Oh, but I think that the, it's not just a story because I think it's, it is true and that does happen, but it, it's like for every one of those people, there's 10 people who now will never even consider looking for something else. And so it's a tremendous offset down and it's, you know, I, so I, my example is perhaps slightly less dramatic, but, um, like I, the most pr- sort of significant Sherlocking I've ever had was for an app that I wrote called Emoji Plus Plus, which back when custom keyboards were first introduced, um, the emoji picker at the time was this kind of awful keyboard thing, which was just a one big massive list of all the emojis that you could never find anything organized in this very haphazard way. And so I decided, you know what, I think I have a better way of organizing emoji. Um, I'm going to make it so that you can, they're going to be organized by category and you can quickly jump from category to category by moving a slider on the edge, um, you know, dragging your finger up and down that. Um, and it had a few other kind of bonus features, like you could add favorites and that type of features. But for the most part, it was just this very quick 
easy to understand organized version of a Demoji keyboard. I released it. It went well, had a nice big launch and did fairly well. In the next version of iOS, there was, I don't even think it was not even the next major version. I think it was in a point release. It was quick. Um, yeah, like there was very quickly a new emoji keyboard in iOS that was roughly the same as Emoji++, but turned 90 degrees. <laughs> and I have no way of saying. Um, I have no way of knowing if that was based on Emoji++, if that was something that had been in works for months. You know, I have no visibility into that. But the reality was now the thing that made my app unique and special and interesting um, was completely gone because that app was better than mine because, and I believe it's still the case, third-party keyboards are kind of, you know, cr- like don't quite work right. They take longer to switch to. Every now and then you'll switch to one and it doesn't work. Like there's all kinds of issues and things with it, whereas the built-in one works perfectly. Um, and so, you know, Emoji++ isn't really a thing anymore. Um, I don't even think I still have it in the App Store because, you know, as new emojis have been added, you know, I would, in order for it to still be relevant, I need to keep adding all these emojis. But for the, like, one person who's downloading it a week, it just doesn't make sense. And so in that case, like, it just killed the app. And in some ways, I don't feel bad about that. Like, I would, obviously, I wish the that line of business was still going and thriving, but... I will say one slightly upside um, of being, you know, Sherlocked or about being copied by Apple is that it is a, you know, it is a nice kind of validation of your work um, to, you know, it's like to be copied by such a big, you know, significant organization that in general, I, I quite respect their products. Like, it's kind of cool that maybe something I made was then copied and put into iOS. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, like it just completely killed that product and that line of business. And I think... That is just the reality more, more than, moreover than not. That if, if, you know, if Apple's going to come in and say, you know, this is something that we want to do, they certainly have the resources, they have the ability to do that and to copy and replace. And then more often than not, it's unlike, you know, it, it'll lead to a, like an, an epic shift in terms of, you know, there was the period before and then there's the period after. And now the after period is almost certainly going to be harder. It's going to be slower and it's going to be, you know, it's, it's a, it's an uphill battle because now all of a sudden your customers are, are, are in general not going to be going to the app store to look for an app to do this. If somehow it just, if immediately it does exactly what they need, they'll just stick there because there is not few things more powerful in software than defaults. Um, I think in it's like the more you, which is a useful like axiom for software development in general, that like whatever, however you, we ship our apps to our customers, whatever the default settings are, whatever the default mode is, the vast majority of people will never shift from that. And so we need to, as developers, I think be thoughtful of that and make sure our defaults are, you know, the, will be the best thing for the most people. But on the flip side, whatever Apple shifts, ships as default in their OS is going to have a tremendously powering effect. And the vast majority of people are just going to stay there and never switch. We are brought to you this week by Linode. Linode gives you fast, powerful hosting for your projects that you can set up in just seconds. They have easy-to-understand tools that let you choose your resources and Linux distribution, giving you the power and flexibility you need. And all this starts at just $10 a month for a 2-gig Linux server in the, Lin- in the Linode cloud. And of course, they have way so many different options now you can go up from there. But just 10 bucks a month to start gets you 2 gigs of RAM and a whole bunch of other great stuff. So Linode has over 400,000 customers that are also serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. I actually had to file a ticket um, yesterday, and it took 
it was something like 15 minutes for them to fix a, a, a failed migration that I had. And I, I mean, I've been doing servers here for years and years and years. I've done probably 60 or 70 migrations. I had the first one fail yesterday. They had it fixed within 15 minutes. It was incredible. Their service is so good. Um, so check it out today. They have comprehensive guides and documentation. If you need any other support that you don't want to just email them about, or you can just email them, it's pretty great. Um, they have a great control panel. It's beautiful. This is one of the reasons why I put everything now at Linode, because it's just so much more pleasant to use than other web hosts. Uh, it allows you to deploy, boot, resize, clone in just a few clicks. Uh, they have two-factor authentication to keep you safe, and you can create snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. It is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. As as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash radar, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use promo code RADAR2017. That's promo code RADAR2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show. So with all that doom and gloom um, in, in the back of my mind, I... Recently, I've been thinking a lot about what is going to be happening to my Apple Watch sleep tracker, Sleep Plus Plus, which um, at this point exists in a market that without a Apple um, option, which seems entirely unstable going forward because it seems inevitable that Apple is going to get into the sleep tracking business on the Apple Watch. And if anything, I'm kind of surprised that Sleep Plus Plus has been able to go as long as it has without a a first-party option. And it's something that I've been wrestling with recently about how this app, it will, I think it's fair to say, inevitably be Sherlocked. That it isn't one of these things where I will be surprised when one day a version of watchOS comes out and includes native sleep tracking. Like, if if that day doesn't come, like, something has gone really wrong at Apple from a development perspective. Because this is a clear, obvious, competitive disadvantage that they currently have compared to other fitness trackers. You know, things like Fitbit or Jawbone, which have sleep tracking built in. And while I love that I'm filling the gap right now, uh, you know, with my app, um, it seems kind of inevitable that they're going to one day come in and do this. And that's tricky because I want to keep making this app better. I want to keep investing into it in terms of, you know, with time and energy. But at the same time, um, I don't want to go too far down the road if one day the entire purpose of the app is going to disappear. And so recently what I've been kind of coming to grips with as I've been working on updates for Sleep Plus Plus is this this thought of it's probably wise for developers to think through what Sherlocking of your app would look like, what it would mean, and then moreover, are there any opportunities that being Sherlocked would present to you? And sometimes that there won't be, and sometimes it'll just be sadness and death. But sometimes there might be an opportunity. You know, and so like in the case of this of my app sleep plus plus i'm thinking about it from a perspective of are there you know when apple inevitably creates their sleep tracker almost certainly it's going to be better than mine and i if it isn't like something has gone wrong again because what there's so many sort of hacks and things i have to do on the watch to do what i do because you know continuously monitoring someone's activity level throughout that even throughout the night um, you know, is not something that the the watch is really geared towards doing. I mean, it has some good APIs for it, and you know, I can make it work. But I imagine 
Apple, if they built it into at the OS level, could do a much better job of categorizing users' activity. This would be running all the time and could automatically you know, detect when you go to sleep and when you wake up. There's some really cool things that they can do there um, that I just can't do. And so for me, I'm starting to look forward to this as a, one day this will come. I want to make advan- make the most of the time I have now, you know, in terms of, in a weird way, it's like I want to gobble up all the possible revenue I can but with Apple Watch sleep tracking now because that will inevitably kind of diminish dramatically. And then, too, I'm looking forward to it in the sense of, not in the sense of I'm looking forward to it happening, but I'm trying to develop with it in mind. And so a lot of the features I'm working on now are if Apple creates a new, a, their own version that generates awesome data and puts that into HealthKit, what can I do with that? Like, can I work on the, maybe the interpretation and the analysis side of sleep tracking more than the data collection side and still have value to customers who may want to say, wow, my app, my, you know, my watch collects all this data, but how can I interpret it? Um, and turn it more maybe into the way that I do with things like pedometer plus plus, where it's like the phone collects the, the step data, but my app is all about interpreting it and making it meaningful. And so I think this is an important thing for Indies to think of to think of where, you know, what what would being Sherlock mean to me? And just take an approach of if you view it as inevitable, if you think that this will one day happen and at least keep it in the back of your mind, I think you can be ready for it. And it'll still be bad. It'll still probably not be a good thing for your business, but at least it may not be utterly catastrophic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think one area that you can um, kind of be safer in is by trying to figure out what types of needs and needs you can solve, features you can implement, um, design choices you can make that Apple wouldn't do or that your platform vendor wouldn't do. You know, and and so like Overcast has all these like all these like nitpicky detail settings and all the advanced audio processing and all and just a whole a very unApple like design of just like a different style. I have a more human style. All my microcopy is very human, and Apple either can't or won't do any of those things because like it isn't their style, um, or they would have to please too many people, or they have to serve too many markets, or whatever else. So like the Apple version of your app. Uh, will will like we know how Apple does things. We know they kind of do like the middle eighty percent of every problem. And so, if you can better serve the edges, you can you can still have a business even with them Sherlocking. And you know, and so like what I've seen, like you know, Overcast is is you know my current project, obviously. And Overcast, I I started writing it after the Apple Podcast app on iOS existed. So like I I knew I was getting Sherlocked from day one of of even beginning to work on the app and I still decided to do it and part of my strategy there was just like I will do some things that they won't and and some people will want those things and I knew going in that this was going to be an uphill battle I knew that was going to be by far and away my biggest competitor and it was and is and probably will be for the foreseeable future because of what you said right before the break like it's already installed on everyone's phone. It's already there. Like you have to, well, there's like a box now that prompts you, but anyway, it's basically already there. If you search for podcast on the app store, a lot of times Apple will just show their giant podcast card now, or they'll show an ad for their own app. Um, yeah. Like I'm at a huge disadvantage there, but I'm still able to build a business because I work on the edges. I, I work where Apple won't uh, or areas they don't serve very well. Um, also when Apple does something like that, um, like with the you know the podcast app or their notes app or their weather app whatever else like how many features has the weather app gotten since its release in 2007 
<laughs> not not a lot. Like when when they when they release an app, when they do their version of something, it tends to be basically a one-shot deal. Like they show their hand and then that's about it for a long time, possibly forever. So once you do get Sherlocked or if you come pre-Sherlocked like I did with Overcast, yeah. then you can kind of already know, like, you know, the, the fear before you are Sherlocked is like, what's it going to be? Is it going to totally crush me? And a lot of times their version of something isn't that great or isn't very deluxe or isn't, you know, isn't very good. Like I mentioned earlier, reading list, reading list is really basic and it lacks some pretty big things. Like it's text mode is terrible. You don't have customizable like fonts to much degree. You don't, you, it's, it, it, there's not really even like a good dark mode, like reading in bed. It's very bright. Uh, like it's, it, it just isn't very good. It's, it's not, it isn't a great solution to this problem. Um, so like, you know, so, you know, with podcasts, Apple has been making a podcast app since the beginning of podcast apps, and it's always been like okay, but kind of confusing, kind of burdened by the baggage of the iTunes Music Store and their podcast interface, and like it's just like it was a known quantity. I knew what I was going up against, and that helped me formulate a plan for how I was going to do that effectively. Like, how will I do things that Apple won't do, and that they've already shown that they either aren't capable or aren't willing to do. Yeah, because I think that is the key point for us to be working. It's like moving forward as developers is the if we develop our apps with this in mind, and if we whether or not it will actually end up happening, if we could assume that it's going to be inevitable, but we see we try and predict either what they would do or we look at what they have done and see what is an opportunity besides that. And that's just the reality. Like that is where we are going to be able to make the best runs at you know creating a business or making an interesting product to customers is, you know, we are on, un, un, it's unlikely that we are going to be able to un Apple over a source out Apple, Apple, like we don't have the resources or the skills or the hand recognition or being installed by default. Like that's just not going to happen. But what we can do is look at it and say, this is what they're going to do, or this is what they have done in the case of like the podcast app. And you just say like, well, what can I do differently? And just put our time and energy and effort into that being different part that that is, I think, where we're going to have the the best traction and the highest probability of success. And at a certain point, you get less scared as a result, as you know, because the things that they're, you know, if Apple comes in and does something, like you say, they're going to do it in a very particular way. And it's important, just as I think in general, it's an important thing for us to be sort of students and people who kind of understand and look at the App Store and the way it works and make sure we understand, you know, how the top charts work, how keyword searching works. Like we want to be a student of that. It's also important to be a student of how Apple makes their software so that we can make sure we're building ours such that the overlap, if it exists, we won't be a hundred percent. And the degree to which we can, you know, split that out and be whatever Apple makes, whatever we make only slightly overlap. We're almost certainly like we're increasing the upward force and decreasing the downward force in our app. And, you know, fair enough. Maybe there'll always be a stronger downward force and there will be an upward force um, created by Sherlocking. But at the very least, we can shift the balance between those two ever so slightly in our favor um, just by being a bit more thoughtful. And honestly, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this. It is really, really useful when someone's searching the App Store for something that they get on their phone for free if your app is free up front. Whether you have an in-app purchase or however you make money afterwards, uh, being free up front will do you a lot of favors if you have been Sherlocked. Sure, yeah, because then you're free against free and it isn't free against paid. So 
Exactly. Like that was a huge problem I had with Instapaper that for my entire ownership of it, it was paid up front. And in, uh, on day one, that was fine. But, you know, three or four years in, that became very much not fine. And yeah, anything you can do to reduce the friction, uh, if you can, especially, you know, if you're doing um, system stuff, if you can import data from the system in any way and then export it back out, st- anything that makes it easier for people to try your app. This is good business anyway that for any app, but it's particularly effective and necessary if you have been Sherlocked by stuff built into the OS. Uh, it is incredibly beneficial to you to make it very easy and free for people to try your app so they can see the difference. That helps a lot. All right. And with that, we are out of time this week. So thank you very much for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.